probably the fast track way to really make quick progress as an investor is to intentionally seek out what the industry refers to as distressed real estate. This is property for any variety of reasons, pretty much anything that has been foreclosed on and in metro areas boarded up fits the definition of distressed real estate. Best ever listeners, wouldn't it be nice to have a $2 million pre-approval line of credit? Ah, just think about that. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be nice? How would that help you get more deals done? Because when you submit a pre-approval line of credit with your offer on a fix and flip house, do you think it's going to stand out more? I think so. And our friends at Fund That Flip, you know Fund That Flip, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show before many times. He's a friend of mine. He's also the owner of Fund That Flip and they're a sponsor of today's episode. What they're doing is they're giving a $2 million pre-approval line of credit up to $2 million pre-approval line of credit for qualified buyers. And my gosh, in this competitive buying market, sellers prefer to sell to buyers who have a high likelihood of closing, right? Makes sense. Well, use this pre-approval line of credit from Fund That Flip and that will signal to the seller that you're the real deal and you'll be able to close quickly. It's free. All you got to do is go to fundthatflip.com. You've got to qualify that you have prior experience and there's a process, but it's free and you need to go to fundthatflip.com to get the pre-approval line of credit because this is a way that's going to help your short-term rehab loan happen because you're going to get the deal for the property where you need the short-term rehab loan. Go to fundthatflip.com and get that pre-approval line of credit for up to $2 million. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless and happy Sunday. I hope you're having a best ever weekend. And because it's Sunday, we're doing a special segment that we always do on Sunday, and that is Skill Set Sunday. And today we have a real estate investor who has been a guest on the show way back on episode number 70. And the title of the episode is Over 40 Years of Real Estate Investing Lessons in Under 30 Minutes. So if you want to hear Phil Elm's best ever advice, then go listen to episode number 70. And you shall get that, my friend. But today we're going to talk about something very specific, and that is working with distressed real estate and using that as a fast track to wealth building. It's what Phil did, and that's what we're going to be talking about. A little bit about Phil, and then he'll get into it. He founded Urban Rehabber Program in 2000, which is a way of teaching and coaching real estate investors. They've reclaimed well over 300 million in distressed properties in the Chicago area and made them look good and made money on them. He's recently published an ebook, How I Made My First Big Payday, which is a guide for real estate investors. And he's based in Chicago, Illinois. With that being said, Phil, you want to give the best ever listeners really briefly a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into it. Sure. Thanks, Joe. Uh, and happy Sunday to you. I started out in the businesses, as you mentioned, uh, you know, some decades ago. And after kind of fumbling around, I kind of, kind of settled into two things, mostly. One was I had to figure out how to work with other people's money, OPM, because I was just still 
waiting around in graduate school and had a wife and two kids at home. And, uh, I didn't have anybody to invest, but I was licensed in real estate and uh, arguably a professional student. And so I kind of picked up on the kind of the new thing in the early 70s was the use of real estate syndication. So I kind of got into the business uh, by forming partnerships and raising money that way. And in turn, that essentially funded my real estate activities for the next 15 or 20 years, really. And uh, I think it's an important skill set for anybody interested in uh, real estate investing as a way to kind of expand their capability, their capacity to do deals that they might not otherwise not have access to while still, if they understand the process, reaping some fine rewards, large chunks of equity, perhaps a, you know, streams of, oh, to some extent, passive income, but it's really active income because more often than not, we assume the role of manager for the venture and so forth. So that was great. But almost coincidentally with that, the product available to me on the south side of Chicago in the vicinity of the University of Chicago were these absolutely beat up, kind of awful six flats and 12 flats, which for decades before that had been largely occupied by students. And in, uh, in this case, they represented kind of tired landlords ready to divest themselves of some pretty crummy property. And we stepped up, and that's essentially how I kind of learned the ropes as far as rehab was concerned, because virtually every one of them needed substantial rehab. And that was kind of interesting for this English major who is now in graduate school in history. And though I think I'm kind of handy, I'm sure as heck no general contractor. So we learned a lot. Over time, though, I came to appreciate that the probably the fast track way, the way to, way to really uh, make their quick progress as an investor is to intentionally seek out what we've uh, come to call what the industry refers to as distressed real estate. This is property for any variety of reasons. It could be a death in the family. It could be the loss of a job or a divorce um, or code violations that the landlord cannot afford to fix. And more recently, since the uh, what we call, I guess, the Great Recession, of course, pretty much anything that has been foreclosed on and in metro areas boarded up fits the definition of distressed real estate. What's interesting about working with those is if you can develop the skill set where you're not intimidated by the work that needs to be done, number one. Number two, you know enough about the business where you're not subject to the control, the pricing, of contractors and general contractors, mostly because you come to know enough about the business as to understand truly what needs to be done on the job and what doesn't and what it ought to cost. If you can resolve those matters, you are able to deal in a marketplace that the average investor does not. Because the average investor is looking for a more, uh, quite frankly, uh, an easier access to the market. You know, go in and they call it cosmetic rehab in the old days where they can rip out the old carpeting, refinish the floors, paint the rooms, put in new kitchen cabinets, and they're good to go. Well, in our case, in, in many metropolitan areas, we go into a house and the furnace is gone, the plumbing's gone. If there had been a fire, windows are all broken out. Some significant work uh, needing to be done, siding, brick type pointing, things of that nature. If you can get comfortable with that, what happens is that you move in there and fix that property. And we have systems that we you'll find information about on our website and so on that we popularized over the last 10 years. It's our contention that almost any single family 
or even two or three flat can be substantially rehabilitated in three weeks or less, 21 days. And what happens as a result of that is that in that 21 days, call it a month, but you know, whatever you're comfortable with, but certainly not three or four months, you are restoring the value that was there before the property got in trouble. And if you think about it for a minute, that means that you can buy a property in the Chicago market, say for thirty-five or forty thousand, fix it up for twenty or twenty-five thousand, and help me with the math, Joe. I think you're worried about sixty or seventy thousand dollars there. The day we finish, whether it's sold or we're keeping it as a rental, the property is is now worth as much as any comparable on that block. And in our market, that might mean. 125 to $145,000. And that is all feasible by the skilled practitioner within 60 to 90 days. And my argument is that's a darn sight better than buying a piece of property for me. I fixed it up, put a tenant in there, and then spending the next 10 years while the mortgage gets paid down and we're in a relatively flat market, but incrementally it goes up in value. You enjoy the cash flow, to be sure, but your appreciation is taking not just months, it's taking years. And in our case, with a rehab, your appreciation happens within three or four months. Boom. And then if you settle them as a landlord, you're setting in with a fully valued property that you have very little cash tied up in. Cash flow is terrific. All right. And of course, you always have the option of selling at market value, arguably. And the first-time home buyers is a specialized market, special market for us. But that is a fast-track method. And by extension, that would apply to a, a sorry, distressed strip shopping center, six-flat, 12-flat, pretty much any property that is dependent on an income stream which has faltered or stopped entirely uh, because of reasons which uh, um, you know peculiar to the ownership. But when it comes to the fiscal attributes of the property, because of our skill set and our project management skills, we can fix it real quick, restore value, and then I'd say try to keep it if you can. Otherwise, you're going to take you know, a terrific tax hit because it, uh, the money you make, uh, certainly by selling in less than a year's time, is going to be taxable just like your day job, <laughs> 35 or 40 percent or more. Well, if you hold a property, there's no tax consequence. You refinance it, pull your capital out, sit back and enjoy the property. I'm sold on the buying distressed property and making it better, realizing the value that used to be there, assuming that the market is the same or even more value or slightly less or way less, depending on the market where it currently stands. I'm convinced that's how you make significant gains in real estate. I've read a bunch of books. I've interviewed a bunch of people. And the basic model is that you buy something low and you either buy it low because you're lucky or you found a really good deal or you buy it low, you fix it up. Then you refinance, you take that money, you put it in another property, you keep on going. That's how you know the titles of many books, how I made a million dollars in a year or something. They just caught the wave of a market. My question is on the rehabs. I personally, I'm speaking from my own personal experience. I don't have the skill set, nor do I want to have the skill set of 
getting into the weeds with general contractors and subcontractors, as you said. So for anyone who is like me, is there a way to approach this distressed scenario and still be successful with it? Well, I'd like to say ask my students. (laughs) I've got a bunch who by and large come from every walk of life other than contracting and building because those guys think I know anything at all about contracting and building. I think it's a fairly short list of uh, building problems or attributes or systems that one needs to get familiar with. You don't need a contractor to tell you the furnace is gone. You don't need a contractor to tell you the plumbing's gone. And these obviously needs to be replaced. It's really a situation of requiring, we'll call it mentorship. I mean, I haven't really thought about much about that, but I guess our program is a mentoring and training program. I've got one course, which hopefully sometime in the next year will become something that folks can look at online and take as a self-study course. But that's all in construction practices. And that's not a global survey of, how you frame a partition or any of those kind of techniques. It is a short list of walking through primarily a residential property and having kind of a punch list of what really has to be done, but just as importantly, what does not have to be done to satisfy both the needs of the marketplace and the local governmental agency, whether it's a village city or whatever the case may be. So that's the first part of it, kind of a basic kind of understanding and willingness to do that much. I'd like to say, well, just get yourself a great contractor, but in our market, I have yet to find one. What I end up with is a range of subcontractors. The next step then is to assume control of the timing of what happens in the property and understand basically that, well, I guess you got to do stuff inside the walls before you do the drywall and the painting. (laughs) You know, kind of a fundamental understanding of the sequence of events. And with that, you then are in a situation where rather than handing control of your project to a general contractor who you may or may not have had experience with, experiencing the potential loss of control, because generally speaking, the smaller contractors have no incentive to finish anytime soon. In fact, if anything, they whether it's conscious or unconsciously, they want that project to last as long as possible because once it's done, they're simply out of work and unemployed. So you've got to overcome that. And you overcome that with your own understanding of scheduling and a list of probably no more than four or five contractors who can execute your whole project and and, and they can be scheduled by you over the phone and you visit the project twice a week and it's done. And it sounds easy and nothing is ever totally easy, but the first project is graduate school and you make mistakes and fortunately we operate under such margins that we can make lots of mistakes and still make money. But we do get better, and if one can affiliate or almost set up a um, a little mini mastermind group, three guys who pledge to get together every other Saturday morning just to compare notes, all of whom, uh, uh, even as amateurs who are doing the same thing, there's immense amount of strength in that, and refer the better tradespeople to each other, jointly, collectively understand what things out of cost. I mean, in the Chicago market, you could go to a commercial HVAC house and you say, I need a new furnace. You're asking for a 
4500 to $6,500 hit. That furnace first cost is probably $600, and you can find any number of tradesmen who, with one helper, can install it in a morning. We do our furnaces for 1500 bucks. You need somebody to tell you that. If you just simply jump off into the marketplace, you're collecting pricing information from folks who can sniff that you've not done it before. So you really need to connect. I don't know any book other than maybe the ones that I write that will give you the kind of guidance as to what things ought to cost in your local market and also truly what needs to be done and what does not need to be done. Let's, you go let's, into let's, a, let's talk yeah. about that on what needs to be done and what doesn't need to be done. Can you give All a right. couple specific examples of what should be done that might be surprising and then what shouldn't be done that might be surprising? Yeah. One of my favorites, easiest to illustrate, is that uh, you, you bought a house and it was built 75 years ago or 100 years ago. So you're in the Northeast or Upper Midwest, really anywhere. And you walk through that house with the general contractor. And uh, it happens time after time. And the general contractor walks through and just starts shaking his head. And he says, boss, I, I hate to be the one that tells you this. But this is a gut rehab. Let me tell you, you know, nothing in here is right. You know, the, uh, the the plumbing's old, the electrical's old, plaster's bad. You know, it's a disaster. This is a gut rehab. And I'd say that people who've come to my program, having done a rehab, most often their experience has been exactly that. They say, well, I started out, you know, and uh, the real estate agent said it was going to be an easy rehab, but by the time the contractors were done with me, it cost me $60,000 and it's still not finished. The point being that that contractor is highly motivated to bulk up that job in any way that he possibly can. And both in my experience and in my recommendations, I find that there's a huge amount of building interior finishes, wall surfaces, floors, and everything can be absolutely left alone and refreshed and be just fine. I have, in my entire career, gutted maybe two to three single-family homes. I mean, that's it. Everybody says, that's not possible. Contractors tell these things bad. Well, that's a strategy that you need to do. Either somebody's got to tell you or you have to overcome yourself to go forward. Because the minute they do, demolish the home. They say, it'll be so much faster to fix it. In my experience, you've increased your cost by a minimum of 50% and probably doubled your cost. And so if you went into a project thinking it was going to cost you 25000 to fix it, and at that you were going to make some money, how do you feel about the project when it ends up costing you fifty to 60000 And so that's a hazard. The second example that is even easier is the electrician who walks through. He says, now, you know, Room by room here, uh, this is not up to code. Well, what he's not telling you is that uh, a a room with two outlets is not up to the national new construction code. But when we go in and rehab a house, we're just fixing what's broke. In most municipalities, we are absolutely under no obligation at all to bring a 75-year-old house up to the new construction standard unless we gut it. If we got it, all the partitions are open, and then the expectation is everything's got to be done according to the new construction code. But that's huge. There's an electrician telling you, well, you know, this isn't up to code. you got a problem here. Well, what he's not telling you is that in the context of rehabbing an older home, you are under no obligation to, quote, bring it up to code because there are 
two levels of building codes. One is this national thing, which is wonderful, frankly. It puts everybody on, a, on an excellent standard from coast to coast. When we're fixing older homes, in most cases, we're not obliged to observe that. Everything we do, there are code requirements that the work we do be done properly. But we're not obliged to rewire. And that, too, is very costly because that, that electrician gets done rewiring a house. Let me tell you, there's not a wall surface in that house that hasn't been chopped into you know, to run, run new distribution. So those are a couple of easy examples of pitfalls that are readily avoided. But the only way you can avoid that is to develop your own kind of information source. And that's where I think good mentoring and coaching comes into play. I never had that. There was nobody I could refer to other than tradesmen. And so I you know they took me to school, <laughs> you know, for, yeah. for several years, it for is, several years, but it cost me a lot of money. I love the very granular detail that you get into these examples. I'm very grateful that you shared with us your approach on investing with distressed properties. And last time we talked more high level today, we're talking very specifically about this. And thank you for being on the show, Phil. Really appreciate it. And uh, before we sign off, what's the best ever way the best ever listeners can reach you? Start at my website, which is, I think, pretty easy to remember. In fact, I've got two domains, one of which spells it wrong. <laughs> You'd be amazed how many MBAs don't put two Bs in rehabber. But it's urbanrehabber.com. And on that website, there's a lot of video. There's a lot of stuff I've written. You can sign up for this newsletter that I send, which is exactly these kinds of tips. They don't cost you a nickel. I'd love for you to join. And there's an honest contact page with a phone number and an address and so forth. So I now have members from virtually all over the country. And we do monthly call-ins with teleconferences and brainstorm and all kinds of stuff. And it is a place where you're not going to get any smoke and mirrors. It's really kind of all about doing the work properly, making sure everything is clean and safe when we're done. But we, quite frankly, we don't go over the top. And uh, our folks make money. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. And the two things that stood out to me are those two last examples that you mentioned as far as things to look out for, what doesn't necessarily need to be done most of the time, and that is a gut rehab, even though the general contractor might be mentioning it needs it. And also the electrician just going through the property and saying, "Mm, this isn't good. It's not up to code, not up to code. Well, do you need to bring it up to code or are you just fixing what's broke? He's giving you a half truth. Exactly. Exactly. He's not lying to you. He's giving you a half truth. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and, and then also the overarching thought and approach of surrounding yourself with other people who are doing this. That's not an investor club in most cases. Investor clubs are kind of feel good organizations and folks who are looking for planning on when they find the right deal, they might do a rehab. Uh, If it's possible, try to find a group that's actually doing the work. All right. Well, thank you so much, Phil. Hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Joe, thanks. Always good to talk to you. Best ever listeners, if you're looking to take control of your retirement and you have a 401k or IRA, then check out Sense Financial. It's S-E-N-S-E financial.com. They offer you the chance to take control of your retirement accounts through the self-directed 401k and IRA programs. You can request your free consultation at sensefinancial.com.